from KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Green Bar Sports Open Line. Goldsmith swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Green Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. Indeed, let's go. Brand new week's worth of shows. We have a lot of two-hour shows this week. We're going to have a full two hours, six o'clock, eight o'clock every day this week, except for Thursday when we will make way for uh, Kansas City Chiefs football. My name is Matt Pauley. It's great to have you with us tonight. We've got a very busy program in front of us. As always, if you want to get involved, there are multiple ways for you to connect with us. You can call or text 314-436-7900. That's 314-436-7900. Or you can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Can you believe it? I was having a conversation with my wife yesterday. We were uh, out and about, and we realized yesterday was the one-week mark from the end of the Cardinal season. It felt like the Cardinal season ended weeks ago, and not just figuratively in the sense that they were out of it. Like it That was... It felt very odd yesterday because we were looking at each other and it was kind of that this was the first weekend post Cardinals baseball. And we said, was, was it really just last weekend that the season came to an end? And indeed it was, it was just uh, last weekend. It felt like it had been weeks, but it it hadn't been. Maybe that says something about uh, the busyness of our lives, but it, it, it just, it doesn't feel like it's now been eight days since the Cardinals season ended. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that. We're going to talk a fair amount of Cardinals baseball on the program today. Uh, Rob Raines, STL Sports Page, he is going to uh, join us at about uh, 6.35 in the next hour. Ryan Fagan, national baseball writer for the Sporting News, he's going to join us at about 7.20. We'll talk Cardinals with him. But we will also talk the Major League Baseball playoffs. We'll give you an update on that right now. The Phillies lead the Braves 3 nothing. In the third inning, and if they win this game, they would be up 2-0 with the series shifting to Philadelphia. So the Phillies are kind of the, Kevin Wheeler and I were talking about this at 5-15. The Phillies have kind of turned into the darlings of the baseball postseason. Just everybody saying, maybe this is that team that played in the wildcard round that can, that can make a run. And it feels like there's some truth to that. Now, that being said, the Rangers took the first two games from Baltimore. Uh, the We'll see what happens with the Diamondbacks and Dodgers tonight. But the Diamondbacks uh, have a 1-0 series lead there. There does seem to be something. And, and this is a little bit different from last year because last year we saw a lot more of these teams that got those first-round buys and didn't play in the wildcard series. We saw a lot more of those teams have success. But this year it feels like, and it's still very early in these series, it feels like these teams that had time off are being hurt by the time off. And there's been a lot of talk, and we might get into it a little bit on this program. And I feel like it's a little bit of low-hanging fruit, and we, and we talked about it a bit even on uh, on Thursday, the last time I was in, thanks to Mike Claiborne for uh, filling in on, uh, on Friday, and he put together one heck of a show on Friday. Uh, but the, the being upset about the playoff format – based upon the results of what's happening in this year's playoff. I don't I don't love that, but at the same time, I do think you need to look at how much does a team that has a week off, how much do they get hurt? Now, 
I think it's actually different for the National League than the American League because the American League, once they started playing again, they played two straight games. For these National League teams, specifically the Braves and then later on the Dodgers, you had that all that time off. You played a game, but then you had another day off, and now you're playing another game. And that day off wasn't wasn't built for travel. Where the American League series, they played two games, and then they had a travel day. So this whole format clearly could use some tweaking. Uh, they are not locked into this format either because Major League Baseball, from an owner and from a commissioner standpoint, they wanted one more playoff team in when they were negotiating the playoffs during the most recent collective bargaining agreement. And at some point in time, that's going to be brought up again, whether that is brought up potentially in the middle of this current CBA or if it's something that's just brought up at the next CBA, whatever it is, it's going to be brought up again. And eventually baseball wants more playoff teams. They want more markets involved. They want more um, They want more games, just everything. They, the playoffs is what they build their TV money off of. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk baseball throughout the course of the show. We'll talk a little Missouri football. Uh, Gerard Hamilton's going to uh, join us in our next segment. Uh, we'll talk to him about what happened with uh, Missouri against LSU over the weekend as the Tigers had a great start to the season. I saw, I think it was Nicole Auerbach from uh, The Athletic who said that Missouri is the best football team that nobody's talking about, and she said that before the LSU game on, uh, on Saturday. But Missouri's a legit team. An LSU team that probably had a bit more talent came into Columbia on Saturday, ended up winning by 10. Uh, LSU put together one heck of a fourth quarter uh, to do that. But Missouri's still really good, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see what they do moving forward. So we'll talk with uh, Gerard about that in just a few moments. Also, as mentioned, Rob Rain's going to join us this hour. Next hour, uh, we're going to replay a conversation that Tom Ackerman had with uh, Doug Armstrong from Sports on Sunday Morning. And uh, we'll talk with a couple other folks as well, including uh, Ryan Fagan, who we mentioned will be on with us at 720. So we got a lot to get to. We've got a lot to get to, but up next, Gerard Hamilton will join us. We'll talk uh, Tiger football with him. That's next as we roll on. It is a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX. A great bar sports open line rolls on here on KMOX. It was a tough Saturday for Missouri. Certainly looked like they were going to come away with a win against number 23 LSU. They were up 22 to 7 early on in the second quarter, and then LSU storms all the way back. In fact, they outscored Missouri in the fourth quarter alone, 22 to 7. They outscored them in the second half, 32 to 14. And to uh, talk about this, we're very happy to welcome on to the program Gerard Hamilton. You follow him on Twitter at J A R O D C Hamilton. He joins us right now via the Quiver River Electric guest line. Gerard, thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us today. As mentioned, uh, staff writer, uh, Mizzou, a football beat writer with Power Mizzou. Appreciate you taking some time. How are you? 
Doing well. How about yourself? Doing all right. Uh, what? Just general thoughts coming out of this one because, man, it it looked like Missouri was going to get this win. LSU offensively, uh, we know they're a talented team, but then when Missouri had some chances late, it was the LSU defense that really stood up in a, in a big way. Wh- what do you take away from this type of game for Missouri where it really feels like they could have won? Uh, I probably have three or four takeaways. I think the first one is Jaden Daniels, and and these aren't in order. And these aren't in order, but just the first one coming to my mind. Jaden Daniels is very special, and so when a player of his caliber starts playing the way he plays, sometimes it's just not not a way to to contain it. Sometimes, and, and Drink said that uh, leading up to the game last week for media day, I asked him, you know. Or maybe it was there somebody else. I can't remember. I feel like I asked him something about uh, or what they do well, but he somebody asked him about Daniels and how you kind of contain him. It was just like it's not a one size fit all, you know, type of thing for him. You're gonna make it in his own. You're gonna make it to a man, but he can beat both of them. He's very athletic. He knows how to break the pocket. Obviously, he had over he had 130 yards uh, rushing. Um, so that's one. Uh, second one, Brady Cook, spiked two turnovers. His first turnover since. Week eight versus Vandy last year. I mean, he he almost threw for 400 yards. He tied his career high from a, a, the prior week with 395. I mean, if that's his worst game of the year, I don't think Missouri fans should panic or think the season's over, all that stuff. Because I mean, you think about it. Last year, how many like of any of the losses last year, if someone could take his stat line from this past Saturday and put it in the loss last year, they'd take that every time. So so that's another thing. Um, Take away that, like the defense, though, there's some questions about the defense of Missouri's. I just, I know LSU's a top 10 offense, but 533 total yards, 49, or I guess 42 points, we don't count the pick six. Um, Missouri entered the game eighth ranked rushing defense in the country and gave up 274 rushing yards. Um, and they let two people have 130 yards or more and a touchdown. Uh, with Logan Diggs and Jaden Daniels. So that's it's not necessarily what you want to see. But last bright side, still put up 39 points, still competed to the very end, was in that game, obviously led for most of the game. So it's not like they got blown out or something like that. I know fans wanted a different outcome, but I think they still uh, played well, and they made a lot of mistakes and they were still in the game. You look at the some of the offense, and you score 39 points. Obviously, there's going to be some big offensive numbers. You mentioned Cook throwing for 411 yards. You had Cody Schrader going out there running for 100-plus yards. But Luther Burden just continues to be such a difference maker. The 11 receptions, the 149 yards. Everybody kind of had an idea of the potential for this guy and what he could turn into, but um, – it it just feels like every week he is he's going out he's making plays and he's doing so in a really difference making kind of way. How much are you just uh, enjoying as as not somebody who's running the Tigers on, but somebody who just enjoys the game of football, seeing what Burden can do on a, on a week in week out basis? I mean, it, it's crazy uh, seeing you know one of the best receivers him and him and Malik Neighbors they're one and two. And to be honest, however order you want to put them in. Uh, you can do that because, like you said, uh, Lou had 11 for 149. I think Malik, if I remember, was like 6 for 146 yep. in a touchdown. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, either way, I mean, they're both they're both eating. They're both great receivers. But, I mean, it's you could just see the development from this time a year ago, especially, especially physically. 
Um, when people ask me about, you know, what do I see different? I mean, obviously him moving to the spot, uh, to the slot is the best thing that could have happened for him just for, you know, he's really Brady Cook's uh, safety blanket. And we saw last year what Dominic Lovett was uh, for Brady Cook when he was in the slot. So Luther's doing that times too, but just physically, I mean, I think it was like the first four or five, six weeks, it felt like every game Lou was going to the, to the sideline, maybe holding his shoulder, you know, maybe limping off a little bit. And he finished the games. We could tell like it's a physical maturation process, you know, playing college football, playing in the SEC. I've already seen him take some big hits uh, this year, and he just pops back up. He's not afraid to go across that middle. Um, he's more secure with his hands. He had a couple drops last year just being too ready to go, but he's got, he's got the hands completely, you know, they're great, and he's just stronger. He, it's, it's hard to bring him down, and not many people can stop him. Nobody has an easy schedule in the SEC, but you look at what Missouri has from here on out. The Really, the LSU game started a really tough stretch from now until the end of the season. LSU, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas. Specifically to these next two games, though, at Kentucky and then home against South Carolina, is this a two-game stretch that maybe will show us whether or not Missouri has truly moved from being maybe a bottom third SEC team? And there's still some good teams in there, but maybe from moving from that bottom third to at least that middle third? Yeah, I think this this game coming up this week versus uh, or against Kentucky, is, I think it's pretty big. Kentucky's coming off a pretty big uh, loss to, to Georgia, and then Missouri's got this loss. But these two teams, along with Tennessee, are fighting to be, you know, that second that second team in the East uh, behind Georgia. So it's going to be interesting. I do think this game and the one versus South Carolina for homecoming the week after are runnable games for Missouri. Um, absolutely, this Kentucky team's a little bit more balanced than than LSU, and LSU just LSU has a feel of the uh, USC offense from a year ago, really high scoring, really high powered offensively, but there's some questions defensively. But a really great offense can still win you a lot of games and still get you out of a, out of a lot of jams. I don't know that Kentucky has that. They're they're a pretty good offense, pretty solid defense. They're more of a balanced team, but I don't know if Kentucky is putting up 49 on Missouri and in South Carolina. I I don't know. It, it's it's been underwhelming for a lot of people as far as what they thought of South Carolina. I didn't particularly think they'd do all that great. I'm not surprised. But I think these are two winnable games, especially the game versus South Carolina. Does Alabama have the opportunity to play their way back into playoff contention here? Just with You look at their national ranking at number 11. Their, their one loss came to Texas, though. And it just feels like it's Alabama at the end is always, always there. And playing in the SEC, you certainly have an opportunity to do that. But at the same time, they don't play another team this year that's ranked higher than number 19, and, that, and that's Tennessee. How would you evaluate the SEC race when it comes to Alabama and their opportunity to maybe play their way back into the college football playoff? Um, I, it's just, I never, I never count Alabama. Well, yeah. actually, I'm lying. I tried, I, I said earlier to start the year that they may go 10 and 2 possibilities for nine and three but every time we say that we just do this every other year you know it looks like they're falling off or whatever and then they find a way um 
I think they does Alabama. Who does Alabama still play? Who's that number nineteen team? That's that Tennessee. So their schedule isn't Tennessee. that great. They go Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, Chattanooga, Auburn. Well, I think Auburn's always a good game. Kentucky, if even if Kentucky was to lose to Missouri next week, I still think they're a formidable, a formidable team. Tennessee, that's a game, and that's a game they obviously want to get back to last year. And then LSU, like I still think. There's some stuff on there for where they can, you know, possibly sneak up and then find themselves in the title game. Again, counting Nick Saban out, we've done this too many times, and it, it always has egg on our face. So, I mean, anything can happen in this league. I feel like some of the games we've seen this year have shown you that. Like, I, I don't know if I thought Florida would kind of run all over Tennessee how I did, but, you know, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. He is a Gerard Hamilton. Follow him on Twitter at J-A-R-O-D-C Hamilton. And, of course, uh, read everything that he's writing and the whole team is writing at uh, Power Mizzou. Gerard, thanks so much for uh, taking the time with us, and I uh, look forward to getting you back on the program real soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, there's Gerard Hamilton. Good stuff from him. I uh, wanted to throw him that SEC quote. It's kind of odd because we talk about how tough schedules are in the SEC, and we talk about that in relation to Missouri. And Missouri is in this period now where I I do think these next two games for Missouri are huge because you just lost against LSU after you won your first five games of the season. You don't want to get in a period where all of a sudden the losses start coming fast. You've got an opportunity right now to have a really, really special season. And if – if you lose against Kentucky and South Carolina, a couple teams, then all of a sudden you're rolling into Georgia on four straight losses, and you're saying, where is that final win of the season to, to get bowl eligible? And this year isn't about bowl eligibility for Missouri. It's about doing more. And they are in great position right now to do more. I just I always talk about you know the crossroads moments of the season. I think Missouri's at the crossroads right now when it comes to these next two weeks. These next two weeks are vitally important. They are a couple winnable games, and the opportunity to put together that very special season I think is largely connected to them winning at least one, if not both, of these next couple games. If they were to win both those games, then you can take a loss against Georgia. You could even take a loss against Tennessee, but that's at home. And all this, If you win these next two games, you're going to be in the top 25. Tennessee is going to be in the top 25. You've got a pretty good shot at that game, and, and just everything changes. Uh, But we talk about how tough it is for Missouri looking at the schedule. I asked that question about Alabama. Alabama's going to end up playing one of the, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, but when you look at the opportunities to knock off highly ranked teams, Alabama's not going to have that. They're going to play a tough team every week. They had one game against Texas, and Texas was ranked number 11 at the time. And as mentioned, the ranked teams that they have left on the schedule, number 19, Tennessee, number 22, LSU, and number 24, Kentucky. So they don't have any teams that are in the top 18 left on their schedule. They only have one loss. They play in the SEC. Uh, you get to where you got to go, and eventually you know, the possibility for uh, playing in the SEC championship game, and then you do play a really good team. Uh, but uh, just – where they're at right now, the schedule the rest away the rest of the way isn't actually that challenging for Alabama in terms of high level teams. It's very challenging in terms of playing a good team every week, except for that uh, 
Well, they got Chattanooga the second to last week of the season. That's that's just what some SEC schools like to do, that late schedule. And at some point, I think they're going to change that. They're going to add one more conference game, and they're going to get rid of that uh, that cupcake game that a lot of SEC teams schedule towards the end of the year. All right, we will take a break, and when we return, we'll talk uh, Cardinals baseball. Where do they go from here? Rob Raines is going to uh, join us. We'll get his thoughts coming up in just a moment as we roll on with a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Continuing on here on a Monday night, we take you till 8 o'clock this evening. At 8 o'clock, at your service rolls your way. It's a Monday night. That means a little Hancock and Kelly action this evening from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Hancock and Kelly late night during at your service. We'll talk with them uh, hopefully at about uh, 7.45, 7.50 as they make their way into the studio. And uh, we'll, uh, I've got a couple things for them coming up uh, later on on the program right now. Very happy to go back to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We'll talk Cardinals baseball with uh, Rob Raines. You read him at uh, stlsportspage.com, and he joins us right now. Rob, always appreciate you taking the time with us. How are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me. The number one question right now for Cardinal fans is the Cardinals have been very public about what they need to do to this roster. We've heard pitching, pitching, pitching. We've heard three starting pitchers being brought in. We've heard relief pitching being brought in. Like We've heard all these things. How much do you think the Cardinals are going to do this offseason? Do you buy that they're going to be in position to, speaking of buying, buying a whole lot of pitching? That's more than one question. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's and that's the problem. You know, they they kind of set themselves up to for failure almost because what they've said they need to do is is asking an awful lot. And I'm not saying that they can't get it done, but I think my my guess is and my my you know expectation is that we're going to be disappointed and that the fans are going to be disappointed. And I say that simply because it's how hard that job is going to be to get the people that that the Cardinals feel like they need to add. You know, not they don't just need to add three pitchers they need to add three pitchers that are better than what they got and that's that's a tall ask and i think that that's you know it, to do it through free agency it's just you know going to involve money where they really you know the question is will they overspend to get them i mean the track record in the past is that they don't you know usually get into a, a high stakes bidding war with you know the yankees the mets the dodgers whoever else is going after some of those same pitchers so we have to see if they're going to do that and if they don't get the pitchers that they want by free agency, that means they're going to be more likely to have to make a trade, which then means to get the people that you want, you're pro- they're going to probably end up trading somebody that the fans really don't want to trade. So it's it's a tough situation. There's no question about it. It's going to be fascinating to see how it works out. The names we keep hearing are, are Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray, and that there'd be interest in not just one of the two, but both those guys. And as you've already alluded to, that's going to be very challenging. But the other side of that is – the ability to work fast when maybe you go at those guys, but agents are probably going to want to slow play it and pump the brakes to see what they can get from other teams. And that's where I have to think it's going to be challenging because you might want to try to get something done fast, but the other side of it may try to really slow things down. Yeah, it takes two to make a deal, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I think that's part of the part of the what we don't know. Part of the unknown here is you don't know what Aaron Noah is thinking. You don't know what Sonny Gray is thinking. I mean, does Sonny Gray want to come back to the National League Central? He's had pitched in this division before. Obviously, you know, 
be in a good situation in Minnesota. Does Minnesota want to try to keep him? I mean, you know, there's, there's, we know Philadelphia wants to keep Noah. So, I mean, do they want to give those teams a chance to, to uh, kind of make their best offer first and then look elsewhere if they don't get what they want from those teams? So both those guys might not even be on the market. You know, I mean, they might be locked up by their own team, you know, a week after their seasons are over and the Cardinals never get a chance to even make a bid for them. So, so that's the unknown of this situation is just because they have an interest in a player. A doesn't mean the player has interest in them, or B doesn't mean that the team is, you know, they're going to be able to spend more than somebody else is willing to offer. The Cardinals have talked about kind of reevaluating the way they do things, reevaluating how they evaluate players. There's been a fair amount made of, you know, do they have all the technology that they need to have to help pitchers to be their best self? Where does that play into all this? Because if you're a pitcher, you want to go to a team that you've, you you want to get the most money you can get, but probably after the money thing, if the money is equal, you're probably going to choose the team that gives you the opportunity to be the best version of yourself. And I think some people do question if the Cardinals are in that position right at this moment. Well, I think you also go where you think you have the best chance of winning. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about guys that are in the playoffs right now where they don't want to take a, you know, go take a step backwards. They only want to take a step forward. If they're not going to, if they're going to leave a team that's already right now a playoff contending team, they're going to want to go to a team that has a better chance of, of going to the World Series. So I think that's the odds that, that, that you're fighting against, too. To me, that whole thing about the, the development and the technology, that, that to me is more of a development question. That's not to me a thing about what a guy who's 33 or 35 years old has had success. In the big leagues, I don't think he's as worried about that. You know, the technique and technology and that kind of stuff. He knows what he needs to do to be successful. To me, it's that's a matter of how do we develop pitching within the farm system and how do we get to develop a number one, a number two starting pitcher. You know, who who was the last you know top flight number one level kind of Cardinal starting pitcher that the Cardinals drafted, signed, drafted, and developed in their own farm system? I mean, I would I would argue that's Matt Morris. And that's that's going back a ways. I think, yeah, you talked. You know, Jack Flaherty obviously was had, had moments. Carlos Martinez had. had there, there, there's some guys yeah, in I, there who at one moment looked like they were going to be that, but then when you evaluate their entire careers, they weren't. Yeah, they were for a while, but yeah. they weren't long term. I mean, you know, you know, you're, not, you're talking six, eight years of you know six, overall success. I mean, they used they didn't have that. I mean, they were good pitchers. They should have probably been better than they were here. And I guess that's what you're looking at is how how do we get those people, you know, the 18 to 21 year old pitchers that we sign either as international free agents or that we draft and you know out of high school or college. How do you get them? And it's not just a cardinal question; it's a baseball question. How do you get the best out of them to develop them into be a top of the rotation starter? <laughs> And, and that's that's what I think the question they have to answer. And with that, wouldn't we put a spotlight on Tink Hens because he would appear to be the mm-hmm. next guy who's got to be who yeah. has the opportunity to be that? I think so. Yeah, I think him and Roby, I think, are the top two guys. And Graceffo's right there with them, although this year is kind of a, a lost year for him because of the, the time he missed because of the injuries. But, but again, I don't. I think of all those guys, to me, the only one that has a chance to be a top of the rotation starter is, is Hens. I think the other guys will pitch in the big leagues, and I think they can be starters in the big leagues, but I don't know that they're any more than, a, a you know, at best, a three starter. So. Rob, it almost feels like, and this goes to the Brewers getting swept this year and the Cardinals being swept out last year, and you just look at the the success or the lack thereof, the NL Central and the playoffs recently, and it's a little bit less now because you've got the, the schedule where you're not playing the teams. If mm-hmm. they're playing the same schedule this year that they were playing last year, the Cubs or the Reds, or maybe both, probably sneak into the playoffs because you've got so many more games against the divisional opponents. It just Correct. it feels like it's almost 
it, it feels good to win the division. It feels good to get into the playoffs. But at the same time, it, it kind of skews how good you are or how good you are not because well, of the division. I don't think there's been any question about that the last couple of years. And I think that's where the Cardinals have to reassess, readjust their goals. I don't think winning the division should be their goal. I think getting, you know, 95 plus wins, getting past the first round of the playoffs, you know, getting into the NLCS contending for the world series to me, that should be the goal, not just winning the division. I mean, we've seen, you know, the, I think it's the, the 0 and 8 now. I mean, the teams have won 92 plus games. You know, there's no guarantee that they're going to go advance either. The Phillies are beating the Braves for nothing right now. I mean, they're on the verge of taking a 2-0 lead in that series. And Braves had the best record in baseball this year that no team the teams that won 92 games in the regular season so far are 0 and 8 in the playoffs and that's that's just you know ridiculous but that just shows the randomness of the baseball postseason it's one of the reasons we like it so much do we talk enough about the fact that's not just the nl central but it's the al central that these teams in the middle of the country stink <laughs> well I don't know. I, I think it's competitive. I think that, but again, I think it's, you know, the East coast, West coast, you know, you can call it bias if you want, but they just have, you know, better rosters. I mean, they have better depth on the pitching staff. They spend more money, you know, and, and I know there's no, there's no um, guarantee that just because you're spending money, you're going to win. I mean, what, you know, say we just mentioned the Braves or, you know, they could be out in one more game, you know, and, and everything that you accomplish the regular season will be for not. So, but you know, the, the lineups just that they roll out. There. And I don't, I think the Cardinal lineup has a chance to be as competitive as some of those mm-hmm. guys, especially, you know, that they're, they're a little bit younger than the Phillies, a little bit younger than the Braves, you know, with, with guys like Warren Walker and Gorman and win and stuff. But I think, you know, Three four years from now, I think you would look at the Cardinal lineup and say it's, it stacks up with all of those other great lineups in the league, and that's why you're putting such an emphasis on pitching because that's what they don't have, and that's what they have to go get. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this version of the Cardinals lineup is good enough to win a World Series if you give it uh, if you you know supplement the pitching to a degree where it, if you put the Phillies pitching staff with with you know Nola and Wheeler in that group, if you put one of these top-tier pitching staffs and don't do anything to the Cardinals lineup, they would have a legit chance to be a World Series champion. I, I don't disagree with you. No, I don't. And that's and that's why they can't mess this up. I mean, that's why they, they know what they have. They just have to go get what they don't have. Do you expect change there'll be some changes when it comes to the coaching staff but when we're talking about the the big positions pitching coach hitting coach bench coach things like that they say they're reevaluating everything uh we don't know when the end of season press conference is going to happen maybe there's going to be some news before that but are you expecting change those type of changes early on no i I think if we were going to know something like that it would have already happened or we would know about it, you know, while the verge of happening. So I, my guess is there'll be some supplemental positions added to the pitching staff, you know, to the coaching staff. They'll have to replace the assistant hitting coach. You'll have to go take the, the job in Mississippi. They'll have to, they never really replaced Dusty Blake last year when he became the pitching coach and left his pitching analyst role. So there's two positions they can fill there. Uh, you know, to add to the staff wouldn't surprise me if they add somebody else to the staff. But I, I really will be surprised at this point. If we've already been, you know, a week past the end of the season here, if if they were going to make major changes to the coaching staff, I think we'd know that already. That's kind of a weird thing. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Daniel Nicolason. Uh, but uh, when when he left, and he he came from the softball world before entering the Cardinals organization, and then he left to go back to softball. That's just you don't see that happen very often. No, no, not not at all. It was a fascinating hire when they hired him you know, a couple of years ago in the minor league system, and I think by and large he did a good job. Or just he was not um, comfortable with the grind. He got two young daughters at home. I, I talked to him about it. He actually ended up getting a raise, you know, to become a back to 
softball coach. I think he always saw himself going back to that world at some point anyway. He didn't see himself as a lifelong major league baseball coach just because of the pressures it put on his family. So, you know, good move for him. But, you know, family, you know, was, was something that important to him and, and happy that he was able to find something that would be a better blend for him. But, um, yeah, and that's, you know, it, it speaks to the, the nature of that coaching job. I mean, they, I don't think coaches at the big league level, especially coaches at the minor league level, I don't think they get enough credit for, for not only how hard they work, but you know, how many hours they put in, how hard their job is, but for what, relatively speaking, is not a great financial return. So, you know, it, we get quick to cast blame and aspersions and stuff when things don't go right. But, you know, I think we need to give them some praise, too, when, when things are going right because they do a, a great job and I think are really underappreciated in, the, in their roles. One of the weird things that happens, sometimes you'll have a, a kid come into a minor league affiliate and say they come from a big SEC school. They're coming from Mississippi or Mississippi State where you know, you're playing in front of maybe 10,000 people and you've got facilities that are absolutely amazing and all of a sudden you're playing low-A baseball in Beloit, Wisconsin, and yep. these guys go in from the college ranks thinking, oh, I'm a professional ball player now. This is going to be great. And the facilities that you're actually going into uh, are much less than what you had in college. And it's kind of one of the weird things about baseball. Yeah, well, they've actually had situations, and I can't remember exactly who the last couple of times it's happened, but the Cardinals have had players who played in the College World Series that they drafted, and all of a sudden they're playing on the backfields in Jupiter in the complex league. Yeah. With, with like, you know, four rows of bleachers and, and you know, no, you know, 100 degrees at playing at noon, and, you know, it's it's crazy, but that's just the, the lowest level of the farm system. That's that's where they, they started out because that's just how the how their opportunity was, was going to develop. So, yeah, it's um, college baseball is taken over. I mean, I, I don't think you're ever going to see a day where you don't draft high school players because that's just kind of the nature of the game, too. But I think you're going to see where, you know, college baseball really can be an adequate, uh, you know, substitute or alternative, I think, for some of the low levels of the minor leagues. Rob, we really appreciate it. I brought you on. I wanted to talk to you about your uh, one of your recent pieces where you uh, put players into the categories of who should the Cardinals keep? Who should they trade? Who's in limbo? I uh, would encourage people to read it at stlsportspage.com. I thought it was really interesting, but uh, we went down a different path during this conversation, and that's all right. Uh, thank you. Never you know what's going to happen. Yep, right? you never know. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll continue uh, to talk to you throughout the offseason. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Very good. There's Rob Raines, stlsportspage.com, joining us on the program via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. And uh, as always, we appreciate his time. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear a little bit from uh, Craig Berube, the Blues head coach, as the Blues get ready to open up their season later on this week. Can you believe it? Blues season is here. We'll be back and we'll be here in just a moment on KMOX. Your home for best Cardinals coverage. America's sports voice, KMOX. Back at it on the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pauley. Wrapping up hour number one of the program, hour number two, one of my favorite things to do, crosstalk with Hancock and Kelly. That's going to be coming up about an hour from now. I've got a couple questions for them, and uh, we'll see what their answers are. That's how that works. When you talk to people and ask questions on the radio, more often than not, they are going to uh, respond. If you did not hear... Doug Armstrong from the St. Louis Blues. He spoke with Tom Ackerman on Sunday morning right here on KMOX during sports on a Sunday morning. If you didn't hear it, we're going to play it for you. If you did hear it, 
you get to hear it a second time, and you're going to enjoy it, hopefully. Uh, that's going to be coming up just after the 7 o'clock news with Maria. Speaking of the Blues, so they open up the season on Thursday night. They'll be in Dallas for a matchup against the Stars. They uh, made a whole bunch of roster moves to uh, get themselves all set for the regular season Uh it's still, I guess, training camp in a way. It's just practice going into the season, uh, whatever you want to call it. Craig Berube was asked about uh, how the team's looking here just a few days out from the start of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, we put the work in in camp, I think, and, uh, you know, guys worked really hard and worked on, you know, some new things in camp and things like that, and we had our good buy-in. So, um, and we get a couple more practices in here, and um, we're ready to go. Greg, you've talked about the buy-in for the last couple of days now. I mean, is that just something as a coaching staff you guys have tried to hammer away right from, right from the get-go? Well, yeah, you need it. You need a buy-in from everybody to be successful in this league. Um, and, you know, I mean, they've done a good job of it so far in training camp, and we've got to keep keep on it and, you know, working them in practice and getting that buy-in, and that's a big part of it is, you know, making sure, that, you know, we're working on it in practice every day and, uh, you know, pushing them. Feels like this team is going to go as far as that line of Thomas, Buchnevich, and Kairou is able to take them. Uh, their ability to score a lot of goals, and Berube did talk about that group. Well, skill set for sure. I mean, they all you know have a pretty high-end skill set with the skating and the puck skills and um, things like that. You know, um, I think you know Thomas and Kairou have always clicked at some point, even back you know in the days where development camp and things like that and I think Bucci really provides um, like a, a real two-way player on that line um, you know from a, a work ethic standpoint um, you know creating loose pucks for him on the forward check getting to the net you know making sure he's doing a good job defensively which he does extremely well um, you know that's going to provide them with you know transition plays and things like that that he breaks up and then go the other way so I think, you know, it looks good right now. It's it's um, they're really they have some chemistry going right now, which is great, and we'll see how it goes. So that is uh, head coach Craig Berube just a few days away from the start of the season. They'll get down to Dallas. They'll spend a few days down there, and then they will uh, play that first game. Uh, we had told you in sports uh, earlier today about the players who had been uh, waived. Well, they all clear waivers, and they're all headed to Springfield. Uh, that includes uh, Nathan Walker, also uh, Mackenzie McEachern in that group, uh, Callie Rosen, and uh, Malcolm Subban will all head down to Springfield. So they've been officially assigned to the Miners. Lots of Blues talk all week long as we count down to Thursday. But up next, we will hear from Doug Armstrong. His thought on this team going season. We'll replay his conversation with Tom Ackerman. That's next, right here on KMOX. <laughs> 